You're listening to the Running Around Charlotte podcast, presented by the Milbon Health Charlotte Marathon. One day, five events, and a race day distance for every goal and pace. Find out more or register at runcharlotte.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Pinnacle Financial Partners and Bedgear, the official pillow partner of the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon. And here are your hosts for the Running Around Charlotte podcast, Tim Rhodes and DC Lucchese. One of the number one questions for any runner is how to fuel. Yes, what to eat, when to eat it, and how much to eat for the distance you want to do in training for a race. If you feel like you're just going from experience or trying to figure out a complex mathematical formula for every meal, we get it. Our next guest on the Running Around Charlotte podcast gets it too, and she's got the knowledge to help. Ashley Muschiati is a registered dietitian and performance specialist with Novant Health Sports Performance, and she's got answers. Welcome, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you guys? I'm doing fantastic. DC, how are you doing, my friend? Great. I'm still doing the math from that intro. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I'll get back to you guys with the formula when we're done. Yep. So right. tell us about yourself first. Are you a runner? What sports did you play growing up? How'd you get involved in nutrition? Like, give us the uh, give us the background on Ashley. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually was a track and field athlete in high school and college. Um, except I tell people I ran distance, but I was really just a thrower. Um, if you see me, people are always like you ran distance, and I'm like, mm, no, I avoided running. But um, no, we our coach did make us run all the time. So, uh, so grew up in the track and field um, environment, and then became a strength and conditioning coach. And then, as I was coaching, I went back and got my registered dietitian's license. Um, so, kind of like the dual hit there. Um, but then, I also coached throughout my coaching career. I coached at like uh, Delaware State University track and field and cross country team um, through my internships. I've worked with a whole bunch of cross-country track and field teams. So I've kept my foot in the running field, in the running uh, sector throughout my entire career. So I'm really enjoying it. But, yeah. Where'd you go to college? I went to Appalachian State University. All right. For uh, undergrad and grad? Yeah. Uh, I finished my grad school at Delaware State University where I was yeah. coached. Um, but I did five years on the track and field team at App State. Oh, very good. Very good. And what brought you to Charlotte and the the Carolinas? Delaware State did. Have you ever been to Delaware? (laughs) I mean, for crying out (laughs) loud. You hit the nail right on the head there. Yeah, I went back home to uh, finish up school and COVID hit, and I was only planning on being home for a year. And then it ended up being like a year, year and a half, going on two years, and I was like, nope, I got to get back down south. So took the first job opportunity I could, and that happened to be here at uh, Novant Health Sports Performance. So. That's a great place to land, isn't it? Absolutely. Right on. That's good. And and so uh, you talked about throwing. Is that is that the unusual sport and app it, it, that we're referring to? Uh, um. What did you? Well, let me ask you. For, for those who are not track and field people, when you throw, did you just do discus? Did you do hammer, discus, and javelin? What all did you throw? So at one point, I did all five. Holy jeez, um, like, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it was, that was short-lived. It was like two years lived. But um, no, I did all five at one point. Started out as a shot discus. Of course, that's what you mostly do in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then discus and javelin kind of fell off in college. 
in college. And then I really excelled at like the weight and hammer. The weight was probably my best. Um, well, not probably, it was. Um, and then <laughs> shot, shot flew in there too. So I was a weight hammer shot thrower majority. Oh, wow. Holy cow. Yeah. So I, I would assume that fueling played a big part of that because you can't just eat, you know, bag of jelly donuts and go, I'm going to perform tomorrow morning. I'm going to throw that weight. I'm not going to throw up, but you may not throw any weight. So it's like, was exactly. that one of a the lot things of people think that made that. you go, hey, you know what? Did, did you notice something in school and you said, you know what? I kind of math this out or it was just one of those things where you said, I, I want to stay in this space and this seems like a natural field to be in. Yeah. So like I said, so the strength and conditioning was first. That was always my passion. Mm -hmm. And then through being an athlete, especially in the college sector, and then going to coach as a college strength coach um, before here, I noticed that nutrition was a big part of it as well. Um, and, and a lot of schools have multiple number of strength coaches mm -hmm. in, let's just say, Olympic sports. But at the time, there was like one or two dietitians for all 20, 20 to 25 teams. Um, so it was something that I saw that could benefit my skill set, but also benefit my athletes as well, because I can I can do their strength and conditioning, but also tie in that nutrition, and they don't have to go to multiple people, or if the if the school can do multiple strength coaches and dietitians, and you have one person right there that can give an all inclusive um, sports performance assistance to athletes. Well, let me ask you this, because Tim and I are old enough to where, uh, and for those of you who cannot see this, this, this incredible broadcast here, yeah. our guest is quite young. And, so, and we are not. And we are not. But, but, but uh, and I would assume, uh, because I've got some kids playing ball in college, and one of the things they talk about is, you know, is, is the connection with nutrition, which I know they didn't talk about as much when Tim and I were in school, uh, and eating disorders that some of these kids have, men and women. Now, is, is that something that you saw when you were in school, and is it something that you're still talking, I would presume, that you're still talking to athletes about now? Yeah, absolutely. And so right now with Novant Health, I also work with a professional team in the area, um, and it's something that from high school athletes, like I, we work with young high school athletes all the way to professional athletes mm -hmm. and adults, and it's something that throughout that whole spectrum of ages that is still something that's very common, but like you said, not talked about. Right. Um, and I was actually just having a conversation with someone the other day about the same thing. It's sometimes the sim the signs of it are very outward projected of relying on a scale or um, always conscious about how people how you look or if someone says anything, then you run to the treadmill. Um, but a lot of times too, they're also very inwardly projected or expressed. So something that professionals have more of an eye on is like looking if someone walks past a reflective mirror and or reflective surface and keeps looking at themselves or just like little things. So like sometimes the eating disorder is you can easily see it within yeah. athletes. Um, but a lot of times now, especially with how frequent people and especially with social media and seeing fit people all the time, um, a lot of times those feelings are sometimes held more inward too that people don't talk about. And it's especially overlooked uh, with men, male athletes as well. Yeah. So. Well, if you want to fix that, you can just follow me and Tim on social media. You can definitely see some people that are not fit. That's all. So. <laughs> DC, 132 pounds with rocks in his pocket. 
So a question for you about the, the eating disorders. I, I find it interesting because, um, I, and, and I don't have any experience with it, so I hope this isn't a dumb question, but at what point do people's behavior manifest themselves to the point where there is, it, it morphs into and crosses the line of now it is an eating disorder from like, hey, I'm going to cut back on a few things to I'm going to splurge and purge or I'm going to do some unhealthy things and now all of a sudden we've crossed the line and then at what point do people realize or begin to realize or wonder maybe, do I have an eating disorder? Is this become a problem because now I'm in an unhealthy position with my diet and my habits? Yeah, so um, there's two things. So there's disordered eating and then eating disorders, which are two different things. Um, and a lot of people get them confused. So kind of a lot of times some things start out as disordered eating, un those unusual patterns that you were talking about. And then over time and along with other factors such as job pressure, um, if their job relies on them performing well, um, social pressure, um, lack of confidence in their own body dysmorphia, stuff like that. So all of those factors then play a role in kind of changing it from that disordered eating to possibly moving into a full-blown eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you this. Explain, I have never heard that term before, disordered eating. Seriously, mm -hmm. I've never heard that term. What exactly is that? Yeah. So it's a very broad, it, it has multiple, very broad spectrum. Um, but it could be things like there's something called orthorexia, which is where you're so hyper-focused, and a lot of athletes have this, that you're so hyper-focused on what you're eating and that you have to hit, eat the same things every day, and it becomes a problem where, like, if you're going out to eat and your normal meal prep foods aren't there, then you can sometimes, some uh, individuals will pull themselves away from social gatherings because they don't have that security that they're, the foods that they can eat are there. Um, so it, it, it's kind of the start of it where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to maybe start skipping breakfast now because I just don't want to gain weight or just disordered eating patterns. Um, that kind of is, is the broad Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. no, I've never heard that before. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. You know, the, we kind of kicked this yeah. off with the idea of fueling, and so many of us are in the, I didn't mean to, you know, go down the rabbit trail, but I, I am fascinated by that because I, I, you know, I don't know a lot about it, and I like to learn stuff, um, and I, I know it's a real issue for some people, so if, if you're part of that, um, then, you know, good information to have. Um, Fueling for runs. Talk about you know calorie spend, calorie replacement. How do how do we re refuel? Yeah, and if you don't mind, real quick. So going back on the eating disorder, just if anyone listening does have any um, eating disorders or anything like that, um, or are worried about a loved one, um, then there's people like myself, sports dietitians and dietitians within eating disorder specialties that are there to help. So I just wanted Damn. to put that out nope. there as good, well. Good intel, um, good intel. Yeah. But, uh, so remind me, sorry, you said... We're talking about fueling, like, cheesecake, yes. pizza, <laughs> coffee, where, am I, going, where am I going wrong here? I just picked up some Danish Kringles at Trader Joe's yesterday. <laughs> Trader Joe's, oh, not, a so not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. 
at the grocery store. Um, exactly. So I, when you look at like nutrient timing, it sometimes differs on the time mm. you're, that you're doing your run. Um, I would say the most general part is not having a big meal, like one to two hours if you're going on a long run. Like I'm just thinking more like competition or even just long runs in general. Um, cause you want your body to be able to digest something. Mm -hmm. So before your run, then you want something that's low in fat and low in fiber so that that way it's not sitting in your stomach because fat takes longer to digest and fiber can cause some constipation. So to minimize those GI problems or runner's gut, um, having lower fat and fiber before a run. And then if you need something real quick, right before a run with 30 to within that hour to 30 minutes before, then something like quick carbs, um, applesauce, um, you can Tim make has some that at home. That's right. <laughs> applesauce? Yeah, exactly. All, All right, my athletes right. are like, my kids eat this. Like, I'm like, yeah. exactly. and it, it's, it's a exactly. If the, the old folks home, you get plenty of applesauce. Plenty of applesauce. But, but what, so now that I've interrupted you, um, what are some of the, the mistakes that, uh, that new runners make uh, as it relates to food and fuel, and how can they fix those? Yeah, so one of the biggest mistakes is not eating. Aha! Yes. So carbs, <laughs> carbs are your body's main source of fuel. Um, protein and fat make glucose, but it takes a lot longer, yeah. and it, that's not the mm -hmm. main purpose of those. So carbs are your body's main source. Uh, source of fuel. So without them, it's basically running on a gas tank on empty. Mm -hmm. um, so you can you can go. It's going to get you a little bit, but at some point you're going to crash. Um, so eating something, and like I said, it's all about that timing. So mm -hmm. if you're like, I can't eat anything because I'm getting sick, well then maybe it's the timing that we need to look at, or the type of carbs that you're eating. So those quick digestible carbs, um, and then also like when it comes to hydration, one not drinking. Not having, not hydrating before, but also not replenishing afterwards. That's also the big thing is going right from, okay, I'm done the race to, or done a run to, okay, on to my next thing without actually replenishing hydration at the end. So if um, probably some spring marathoners out there, right, um, who are mm -hmm. getting ready to do, whether it's um, Boston or one of the races up in the, in, in the Midwest or, um, there's several coming up. Anyway, um, what what's a good pre-race for those who haven't figured it out or just kind of wing it and like, oh, I don't really eat anything or I have three bagels before I run because they, they don't upset my stomach. Like the mistake is I eat something and there's just not enough time for it to convert to anything that's useful in my stomach. So, you know, by the time <laughs> noon rolls around, I'm done. And now I've got some carbs <laughs> that are ready to burn, but it's too late to, yeah. I don't eat anything because I don't want to end up in the port john at mile eight, you know? So what's, you mentioned yeah. applesauce, but like how many calories, like if we read labels, how many calories should we be taking on before um, and and during our run and, and what's a good plan. I, I notice when I run, I'm probably burning 
ballparking it spitball based on a, a watch that's not completely accurate but you know somewhere between 800 and a thousand calories in an hour right so if I'm going to run a marathon and my plan is to do four hours I'm burning 4,000 calories or you know somewhere between three and four thousand calories I would guess you've got to replace that right I mean eventually the gas tank doesn't have that many calories to spend yeah so the exact number of calories is kind of hard to give because everyone's different. Everyone's different. Um, it, <clears throat> calories are, are determined by muscle mass, age, gender, height. There's a whole bunch of things that go into that. So but the it's exact also number external of calories, factors, right? I mean, it, yeah, heat, um, heat weather, sweat rate, all that kind of stuff. How many hills you're running versus flat course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think more is kind of like the grams of carbs is a better thing to go at. So like um, before you want something quick digestible, about 20 grams of carbs. Um, So like apples, 10 to 20. So applesauce, I always keep mentioning it because it's my go-to. It's my favorite. Um, (laughs) A lot of companies have like carb bar um, or like fruit snacks, fruit gels. Um, I know Gatorade has some of those too as well. And then if you're running for mul- like the marathon multiple hours then you want to try to bring some of them with you and have um have one every hour or so into your race just so you're constantly it doesn't even have to be a lot like they have uh those fruit some companies have fruit snacks um that are carb based mm-hmm. low sugar so that you're not going to crash um but you eat the, some of those in the middle of your race um about 10 grams um consistently not all at one time, of course, but that'll provide you uh, steady energy throughout the whole race there. Yeah, and so it's kind of hard to say an exact number of calories, but you can go grams. Yeah. And, and as we talk about this, I always have, I always have those, uh, those visions of those old school Tour de France riders who were smoking, drinking wine, drinking milk, eating salami, and biking literally for, <laughs> for days and days and days on end it's like unbelievable surprisingly some people can do it i mean you'll even see the athletes that will go out and have a huge breakfast of pancakes and sausage like huge breakfast and I'm, be I'm able to eat yeah. <laughs> be able to eat whatever they right. want and some some people can and some people can't all right well then so, let me ask you this pop quiz yeah. were they just that awesome or are we just that soft? Or do we know a whole, whole lot more than we did back then? It's a setup, um, setup question. We definitely know a lot more than we did back then. <laughs> I'll say even some of the best athletes that don't have the best diet um, can, like diet can make or break a performance. So you may be able to do that stomach issue wise, but right. when it comes time to performing, um, they used to say like having a good strength trainer, uh, was the, the step up in the field. And yeah. now since strength and conditioning has kind of become unified or consistent throughout all fields, mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, the next thing is nutrition. If you have a good nutrition, then that will give you the leg up in the field. So yeah. it's like, can you? Yes. Is it going to put you up in performance? You could just be really good in a good in a competition compared to others or against others. If your diet is not the best, then that can show some areas of weakness. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to PR or BQ or break a certain time standard, every little bit helps, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's good information. Really? I um I am one of those who is planning on a spring marathon, and you know I I've uh, in my training I'm trying to be more conscientious of trying to, and I use uh, one of the uh, branded gels. I, um, that, Jelly donuts? Yeah, the gel, the, the branded gel, <laughs> e-donut. Um, mm -hmm. Take those, uh, you know, take one before I start, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then at regular intervals throughout and um, just seem to have had some success with that. I mean, it, the one thing you can you can error on and and it not help you is you wait until it's too late like you wait until mm -hmm. mile 12 to to take a uh, energy gel uh, it i mean by the time that thing converts it it's yeah i mean you might get some effect but you're gonna all already have hit the wall but before it does exactly there's a difference between just feeding your body and then fueling your body so yeah. feeding is just putting food in your body when uh when you're hungry or something like that, fueling is actually incorporating nutrient timing and the quality of stuff that you put in. Yeah. So, well, we appreciate your time, Ashley. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having um, me. How would we get in touch with you if we are interested in uh, learning more and and uh, and tapping into some of those resources and that knowledge you have? Yeah, absolutely. So, I work for Novant Health Sports Performance. We have two locations: one in Huntersville, North Carolina, and then one in South Charlotte. Um, our Instagram is at NH athlete. Um, and then if you also just Google, uh, or I think it's Um, and then my email is a, and then my last name, M U S C H I A T T I at novonhealth.org or dot org dot com. <laughs> Oh boy. Right. I can't even remember. I'm, I'm surprised I spelled my own last name right. That happens to me sometimes. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you to Novant for all the uh, support in, in so many different areas. And sports performance is just one of those. We really appreciate uh, the information this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ashley. Right. The Running Around Charlotte podcast is presented by the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon. One day, five events with a race day distance for every goal and pace. Registration and more information is at runcharlotte.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Pinnacle Financial Partners and Bedgear, the official pillow partner of the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon. Running Around Charlotte is produced in partnership with Well Run Media and Marketing. New episodes are available every week, anywhere you listen to podcasts.